What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the NCP Conversation, where biblical sermons are presented through a TED Talk-like fashion. I'm your host, William Connor. Today, we are going through James chapter 1, verses 26 to 27. The title is, Is There Good Religion? Is There Good Religion? So, let's jump right into it, and we got a lot of ground to cover today. Um... Looking forward to getting through this with you all today. There's a saying that's been going around for a couple of years now. And it goes like this. I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. I remember the first time hearing that saying. I was very confused. I'd never encountered a line like that before and unsure what to say. I think <laughs> I just moved on to different topics. Not soon after, however, it continued to pop up all over the place. I am spiritual, but I'm not religious. Friends, today we're going to talk about why there's a lot of bad religion. We're going to show some of the reasons why religion has taken on a very ugly face. But it doesn't mean at the core religion is bad. If religion can be bad, it probably means that religion can also be good. It means it can be great. So we're going to look at what makes a great religion. We're going to look at the book of James for that answer. But for now, we must ask the question, why people are identifying as spiritual but not religious? Some of you who are listening, this might not even register on your scale. See, there's uh, atheists among us. Those are materialists. They believe there's us, the universe, the material that makes it all up. And, and there's nothing really beyond the physical material world. Uh, and, and you know, there's lots of people who can hold that opinion. I don't believe it's a right opinion, but it can be held because to have faith beyond the material, physical world, to believe in spiritual things. There's no exact way to measure it. It takes that which I talked about, a little bit of faith, to think that there is something beyond the physical, material world. There's no scientific model for measuring, understanding, or comprehending these spiritual beings or forces. So I don't want to spend too much time on this point, it just means that there's no accurate means of proving spiritual means, but there's also no accurate means of disproving spiritual forces either. See, I would couple that idea that there's no way to disprove spiritual forces with the idea that of the billions and billions of stories, supernatural stories, I I have a hard time believing anyone can outright deny the experience, the existence of spiritual means in this world. If you don't believe me, you know, I, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you've decided to listen anyways to what I might consider a spiritually filled sermon. Because more than likely, sometime in your life you'll come across somebody who claims to be spiritual yet will be careful enough to not go too far and say they are religious. How do you understand such a person? And similarly, how do you understand such a movement? For this is a movement. 
This idea of spirituality is taking North America by storm, right? By saying that religion is terrible, yet we've been so convinced, had, had so many conversations that we are convinced there are spiritual forces around us, and we can no longer say we do not believe. So after taking a bit of time to digest this, to think about this, I came back wondering, what does it mean to be spiritual but not religious? So I just simply looked up the definition for spiritual and the definition for religious. You see, to be spiritual means to acknowledge spirits and souls within the material world. Essentially, these type of people believe there's more beyond the material phase. There's more beyond the material plane. There's a spiritual world that exists and affects our everyday life. To be religious, however, means to have a system of faith and worship. So, so what's the difference here? Well, the difference is that although both spiritual and religious people acknowledge the spiritual forces in our world, the religious person finds a system in which they can fulfill their religious duties and or means of worship. The spiritual person understands, acknowledges spiritual beings or forces, depending how you understand spirituality, in their life, yet they have no way of properly relating to them. They simply acknowledge spiritual forces that go beyond the material plane. The religious person seeks a deeper understanding of a spiritual being so that they can properly understand how to relate to that being. In this, understanding spiritual versus religious, the person who is spiritual isn't taking this aspect of spirituality far enough to be able to make reasonable choices in how they act when they come face to face with such a spiritual force. Now quickly, just to define some terminology uh, and not to get confused, there's another way people talk about being spiritual but not religious in the way that you find deeply religious people trying to find a way of worship and practice without the constraints of traditional practices of their fathers and their forefathers. See, this type of spirituality rests more on the resistance towards the dogma of religious practices more than the religion itself. Religious people fight against traditions of the old church because it's too restrictive, too pious, too out of touch, too, um, we might use the word, pharisaical, very outwardly changing, behavior-focused, not so much on the inner focus. Religious people fight against the traditions of the old church, right? And they sense an uneasiness because when a newcomer walks into the church, it's like they've been transported back in time almost 400 years or more. It's old, confusing, almost regressive. These are religious people that seek the freedom from religious practice. The they seek the spirituality of religion without the practices, without the dogma, the out-of-touch practices. This is not what we're talking about when we talk about spirituality versus religious. 
right? Because in this instance, they are talking about a reformation of the faith. They want to keep the tenets of the faith. They want to keep the love that they have for the faith, for the pillars, but they don't love the the curtains on the wall. They don't love um, the old hymns. They, they don't love the method. They love the theology. They love the church. They don't love the method. Some will try to step in and out of this linguistic understanding to confuse their listeners or the other parties that they're talking to. And so you should try to understand when somebody loves a religious thing but not the practices, it's different from those who don't love the religion of the thing at all. And they distort the idea of the religious thing. Those who, in this instance, are trying to seek freedom from dogmatic practices, love the religiosity of the thing. They love what the faith stands for. What we're talking about when somebody says, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious, they, they don't love any religion. There's a very big difference there. So, when... So coming back to this idea of I'm spiritual but not religious, when somebody claims to be that, see, I see a hesitation to jump into a system of understanding spiritual things while fully understanding, fully knowing there's spiritual realms all around them. There's a spiritual realm all around them. Why are so many people doing this? Well, they jump into the spiritual realm Perhaps for a couple of different reasons. Perhaps it fills in the gaps of their knowledge. Maybe it gives them comfort to think there's something beyond knowledge that is looking out for them. Maybe just simply they're so fully convinced that there's a spiritual realm out there and actually the religious people have it right. The, the problem is there's so much bad religion out there. James is going to tell us plain and simple that there are hypocrites out there who say one thing and do another. James believes there's one God, one faith, one way, one Savior. His name is Jesus. Jesus said there's a certain way to do religion. That is to love God, love people. What's the difficult thing here? Describing who God is and why we should love Him. See, spiritual people are too nervous to tread into that spiritual conversation. Because there's no straight way of speaking about spiritual um, beings, forces, without a certainty around it. Spiritual people say, I don't know. And to make a claim, it would be literally to take a biblical tome at faith value. See, they want a more concrete measurement. But all they have... It's faith. Why won't spiritual people come over to religion? Why won't they choose to enter into a religious system in how they understand the spiritual forces that they come in contact with? See, off the top of my head, there's a couple of different reasons why people don't trust religion, why they don't trust systems of faith and worship. But simply, they fall under one category, the one truth. 
That is, there is so much bad religion in our world. The first of this bad religion is religions that lead to death. And I believe we can all agree on this point. The religions that call for the slaughter of innocents. We, we are learning more and more about the Aztec um, religion and, and the human sacrifices that went along with that and, and the, the mass graves that are being dug up, right? We, we hear about um, jihad and, and the Muslim faith where um, there are fanatics within the faith who say, you know, we have to have holy war on the infidels. Okay? And for those of you who might even consider yourselves Christians, um, we cannot forget about the witch hunts and the crusades. You see, there are system of faiths that keep us in line, um, that, that help us know the truth, help us know the spiritual forces that are in play, and, and, and know religion is at its edges safe from fanatics, safe from bad theology, safe from lack of true understanding, true, a, a good and well system of worship and faith. And, and, and we begin to see these um, horrendous events, these horrendous um times in in the past where where you see a lot of bad religion come out of religion right i would say being a little bit biased that i believe Christ, christianity is the one true way but it doesn't take a genius to see all the bad that has come out from fringe christianity from alternative christianity christianity that is not christianity but has been done in the name of God, in the name of Jesus. We've seen these awful things that have come out. There's a lot of bad religion. See, religion that calls for the death of others is bad religion. The second reason people don't identify or trust religious systems is because they see them as regressive. See, back with Christianity in the 19th century, this idea of science versus religion became, began to rear its ugly head, putting religion in direct conflict with science. So religious people were seen as regressive, trying to stop the progressive agenda of science to disprove God. And many good religious men and women were caught up in the battle that was set through the religious through a linguistic trap to force scientists against priests and priests against scientists. <clears throat> However, one should understand that today, science and religion have yet to find a huge overcoming barrier that will cause one to choose between the two. We still find in the news today, 2018, that there are some religious fanatics that tell us the earth is around, they are flat they are flat earthers, right? They they believe the earth is flat, they spread conspiracies about the moon landings. The second reason people don't trust religious systems is because they believe religious systems are regressive. 
regressive religions are bad religions. The third reason we don't trust religions is because they're unattainable. We've all had that one quote-unquote friend of a friend who had this spiritual conversation, conversion, and then what happened? You know, they went a little overboard. Right? They lost all of their earthly possessions, as in they gave them away. They joined a monastery. They swore off alcoholic drinks, and they even made a pledge to celibacy. No sex. You know, that is a little nuts in, to some people. <laughs> we, don't, okay, we don't judge people because of them. Listen, it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek for this third point. Because some of us, having not grown up in a religious home, know that religious communities can get a bit weird. We're not, from not eating fish on Fridays to full-blown celibacy, many of us won't touch religion with a 10-foot pole because it's terrifying to us. Some of the fables you've heard about religion, man, they are cults. What are they going to get you to do? We have looked at some of the hard-edged fanatics and we wonder, could we actually do what they're asking us to do? And some of those are so insane, we know from the start, it's an outright no. I, I couldn't do it. I can't do that. I can't be that dis- dis- disciplined, that diligent, that strict. Th- there's no way I would become religious because it would mean a complete and total abandonment of my life. You see, the third religion, which is a little bit tongue-in-cheek, it gets a bad rap because of the insane traditional standards of the old God that continues to put on the newcomers. When you're looking at a religion and there's no way to achieve it, friends, that's a bad religion. See, there's a lot of religion, there's a lot of bad religion out there. That's, that's the truth. But that means that there have to be bad religions and good religions. Now we have to figure out what makes a good religion or even a great religion. Now that we have spent the time to discuss what is a bad religion, what makes a great one? Right? James chapter 1, 26 and 27 says this, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the orphans and the widows in their affliction and to keep oneself from the world, unstained from the world. James points out what we've been talking about here. There's a lot of bad religion. There are a lot of people who claim religion to be many things, many rules, many traditions. The truth is that James says there's two things to be religious. Visit the orphans and widows and keep oneself unstained from the world. He is saying that there is something that destroys a man's religion as well. One thing, not keeping a hold over your tongue. And we wonder, where did James come up with this system of faith, with this religion? Well, simply put, he got it from his brother, Jesus. James is the brother of Jesus. Let's quickly jump over to Matthew. It's one of the Gospels that takes a look at Jesus' life. Matthew 22 to 30, Matthew chapter 22, 
verses 34 to 40 says this, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, Pharisees, Sadducees, two um, religious groups, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, somebody who's very smart, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in all the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is a great command, first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depends all the law and the prophets. <coughs> Judaism in the day that Jesus lived was this complex religion with lots of laws, traditions, and as we were talking about, it was a bad religion. Here we have the Pharisees who would have been these monks uh, of the past with unattainable traditions and practices. And guys, they looked real good on the outside, but they didn't exactly love God on the inside. They were asking Jesus, how do you see the religion of Judaism? See, Jesus simplifies it down to two things. Love God, love your neighbor. Loving your neighbor means to love your fellow man and your fellow woman. Love your mankind. Essentially, this is what James said. What is pure and undefiled religion that is acceptable before God? It is to be, one, looking after the orphans and the widows, and two, keeping yourself clean, unstained from the world. Well, what is he saying here? This isn't a direct call to visit orphanages and hospitals and old folks' homes. See, orphans and widows were the most in need, the most vulnerable in the society of Jesus. Even more so than today, because widows and orphans were not able to walk. They weren't able to fend for themselves. They are left susceptible to the dangers of the world. James here is saying, look after those amongst you who are in the greatest need. Look after others. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor, guys. James is also saying, keep yourself unstained from the world. What does that mean? It means holding on to the faith that has saved them in the first place. That means staying close to God who sent Jesus to die on the cross so that you could be brought near to him. See, we believe that through Jesus, we can have a relationship with God because he was he threw away the things that were keeping us from God, namely our wrong actions and our wrong nature, which we call sin. We caused this great, this great injustice against God, and that injustice had to be paid for. Through the cross, the death of Jesus, when he went to the cross willingly, he made it possible for that injustice to be paid for, so that everything that separates us from the love of God is removed. And now we can walk fully with God. James says, look, you've got this great relationship with God. And when you draw near, everything that holds you down, the darkness, the addictions, the sin, the death that want to cling to you, they are pushed away because they cannot be made near to come close to God. 
because God repels all these things. And we've talked about that in past seven. God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. James chapter 1, verse 13. Nothing that stains can come close to God, right? If you talk about dirt and, and, and washing, um, <laughs> uh, washing uh, dish soap, dish detergent, and you put a, a drop of soap in dirty water, what happens? It repels all of the dirt. No, nothing that stains can come close to God. So what does James say? Walk close with God. Don't walk away from Him. Don't walk away from the one who keeps you unstained from the world. Seek after God. Right? Another way to say this is follow Jesus wherever He may lead you. Stay near to Him. Put yourself under the rule of Jesus. Put yourself under the authority of Jesus. As Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow Him. Love God. Friends, this isn't some emotional response, although it can be. This is a command. Love God is a commandment, as we heard in Matthew. It says, love God. Why? Because it's hard to do. See, our hearts are prone to wander. We are at one moment following Jesus, and the next, we're looking at this shiny pebble, shiny penny called binge drinking. It's called Netflix and chill outside a loving, accountable marriage. It's called drugs. It's called independence. It's called pride. It's called self-reliance outside the power of God. What is the first commandment? Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. The problem with people who say, I am spiritual, but I'm not religious. They walk away from any true responsibility that it holds them towards doing what the spiritual leader, the spiritual creator, the spiritual king of all the earth commands them to do. They experience spiritual things and they say, but I will not categorize my life. I will not systematize my life to interact with the king of the universe. See. When we recognize there's a spiritual force, and that spiritual force is not some intellectual creator who doesn't care about mankind, but he is a loving God, that he is a father-like person, that he is a person who cares deeply about your life, and he created you, and he gives you breath each and every morning, that he gives you new mercies each and every morning, that he causes rain to come down on crops, that he causes miracles to happen in our day-to-day lives. The system, the religious system that helps us organize our faith and worship tells us one true thing, love God, love him, seek after him, Keep, and when you do that, when you submit yourself to Jesus, guess what? Nothing, nothing, nothing stains you, but you have to every day submit your life under the rule and authority of Jesus. And what happens? Oh, the stain, the crap that is, wants to cling onto you, it just falls off. Because when you are close to God, you can't be close to sin. 
When you are close to God, sin can't be close to you. Stay close to God. Better way of saying that, fall under the leadership of Jesus. A better way of saying that, love God. Love your neighbor. Love God. Those are the first and greatest two commandments that all the law, all the prophets hang upon. Love God. Love your neighbor. James, um, has one more thing in there. He says there's something that can make a man's religion worthless. And he says, when one does not bridle his tongue. And James is going to get into this idea of the tongue later on. He's already kind of spoken about it. He says, um, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. He's already taught us, bridle your tongue. Listen more than speak. Uh, A common way I've heard this say is you have two ears and one mouth. What does that mean? Listen twice as much as you speak. And I have made that mistake more than once where I've spoke twice as much as I have listened. He's going to get into the tongue a little later. But why does he mention it here? Because it's directly attuned to this idea that keep yourself undefiled from the world. That's the idea of loving God. And James says, if you can't bridle your tongue, your religion is worthless. Why? Because you do not love God. Where does he get this idea from? Well, we go back to Matthew. We go back to the words of Jesus. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 15, he says this in verse 10. And he called the people to him and he said to them, Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, for what comes out of the mouth that defiles him. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this say? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone, that they are blind guides. Do you not see, verse 17, whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled, while what comes out of the mouth, your words, proceed from the heart, and this is what defiles the person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adulterous, sexual immorality, thief, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. James picks up on something incredible here. He says, if you can't control your mouth, it's because you have zero control of your heart. That should scare us. How many of us have lost our minds on another person? And you're thinking, man, I shouldn't have said that. Man, I wish I could have taken those words back. And he's saying that your mouth isn't the problem. Your mouth doesn't start 
moving and then words pour out of it. It's the words that come from your heart, that come out of the mouth. And so if what is coming out of your mouth is nasty, is dark, is bitter, is angry, is uh, undefiled, is filthy, that, God, that's, that comes from somewhere. That comes from the inner being of a person. That comes from the very person himself. Guys, love God, love your neighbor, and allow your speech to guide your assessment of how you are loving God and loving your neighbor. Because if your speech is awful, if your speech is terrible, is filthy, is uncontrolled, guess what? That is an insight into how your heart is right now. We go from a truth that there's a lot of bad religion in our world to a greater truth that there is a great religion that is to love God and love people and allow your speech to be a reflection of that. We come to a gospel truth because some people say, man, how do you attain that? And the truth is this, that Jesus did it for us. The truth is that Jesus did it for us. There was one who lived the true gospel, pure religion, where he had a true, unhindered relationship with the Father, who is God, and he loved the, the orphans and the widows and the most vulnerable among us, and his name was Jesus. And through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, through him totally following God, being undefiled, unstained from the world, loving others, he was able to accomplish what me and you can't. I told you that what comes out of your mouth is a reflection of your heart. And some of you, I don't want you walking away feeling crushed because of maybe last night, maybe you screamed at your child. Maybe you um, screamed at your mother. Maybe you had a fight with your sister. I don't know what, what, what kind of words you've spoken in the last 12, 24 hours, in the last seven days, in the last month. I don't know where your heart is at, but you are feeling convicted. If you're feeling like, oh my gosh, I have a lot of work to do on my inner being. There's a person that gives you a new heart and his name is Jesus. He did the best faith. He had a pure religion. He had an undefiled religion. And he gives that to us. The gospel truth is that, yes, we should follow that example to love God and love others. But the beautiful thing about it is that somebody has done it for us and he is reaching down to us to empower us to 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 save us from our own broken wrongful nature and that's Jesus so what do you do now well you pray with me <laughs> you give your life to Jesus you say I cannot love God and love my neighbor. 
hundred percent of the time, all the time. I can't do it well. Even though I do do it, sometimes I do it poorly. I can't do it. But I believe that Jesus did. I believe that he was the one who saved my soul. I believe that even though my heart is broken, Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, gives me a new heart. And so I submit myself under the leadership of Jesus. I ask him to save me. I ask him to be my Lord. I ask him to be my Savior. I ask him to, to, to make me whole again, to help me live a pure and undefiled religion, to look after the orphans and the widows, and to keep myself unstained from the world by sticking near to Jesus. Friends, thank you so much for listening today. Today has been a sermon on James chapter 1, verses 26 to 27. Is there such a good thing as good religion? Is there good religion? The answer is yes. And it was done through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, maybe you took something away from today. If you did, I'm, yeah, I'm excited. I'm glad to be doing this with you. Continue the conversation with your friends, your co-workers, your neighbors. Ask them how they're doing with their religion. Ask them how they are doing with uh, a faith journey. Ask them how they are speaking to their loved ones, to their children, to their friends and family. And, uh, and we'll speak to you in a couple of days. You've been listening to an NCP conversation, and I've been your host, William Khan. I will see you in a couple of days.